A deacon was told beforehand regarding an upcoming missions banquet to be sensitive to the fact that there were going to be a number of foreigners at the banquet who were not accustomed to American culture. So during the banquet, he found himself sitting next to an African man who was hungrily devouring his food. Trying to think of a way to communicate with this man, he leaned over and said to him, chomp, chomp, good, huh? The man looked back at him and just said, yeah, good. A few moments later, he saw this African man uh, drinking this delicious cup of coffee, and he says to him, glug, glug, good, huh? An African man was a little uncertain as to what he meant by that, and just once again said, yeah, mm, good. But when the keynote speaker was introduced, the deacon was stunned to learn that the keynote speaker was this very man that he had been sitting next to all night. And this African gentleman got up and delivered a flawless message in Oxford-accented English. And upon concluding that message, he headed toward the deacon whose face was as red as an apple and simply said, blob, blob good, huh? Assumptions are dangerous, aren't they? They can be. Uh, these are things that we accept as true without any proof whatsoever. And these are things that we do all the time. If we're honest, we make assumptions all the time. We do it in marriage. We do it in parenting. We do it in our relationships with one another. We assume quite often, and quite often, we're wrong. There have been times where I have assumed things about Lori, and then we sit down and talk about it, and I realize I could not have misread that more. I was completely wrong. But here's what I want us to see today, and, and this is really the foundation for where we're going today. The most dangerous assumptions are the ones made concerning the will of God. These are the most dangerous assumptions concerning the will of God. This is where we assume we know what it is that God wants, what it is that God desires, what it is that God wants us to do. We make those assumptions. Now, there are aspects of God's will that are clearly specified in Scripture not contesting that whatsoever. God makes those things very clear, so that's not in view. What's in view this morning are those times when we are looking to make decisions regarding what it is that we think God wants us to do without having any proof whatsoever that that's exactly what He wants us to do. Like, we just think we know. This is what God wants me to do. In this particular situation, in this particular matter, whether it be a job or, or, or a major purchase of some kind, some kind of ministry endeavor, it's, yeah, this is what I know God wants me to do without proof. And this is what we are immediately confronted with in 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. And it came to pass... 
when the king sat in his house, and the Lord had given him rest round about from all his enemies, that the king said unto Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in an house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in thine heart, for the Lord is with thee. So David's intentions here were commendable. God had blessed him, and he knew it. He knew it. He was resting in the palace that had been built for him by Hiram, king of Tyre. We saw that in chapter 5. And God had given him rest from all of his enemies. No war. There's rest and peace. Listen, uh, when you've been in a season of war and peace, and you find yourself now in a season of, 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 of rest and peace, it's like encountering a cold water spring in the middle of a hot desert. When all you've known is battle and contention and difficulty and hardship and pain and all of that and struggle, and you look around and you go, wow, look at all that God has given me and everything is at rest and there's peace and there's quiet and there's harmony and this is good. And it was in this place that David saw the disparity between how he was dwelling and how the ark was dwelling. And he was bothered by it. He was dwelling in a house of cedar, luxury. But the ark of God dwelled within curtains or in a tent, a makeshift tabernacle, if you would, meager. David said, I have a problem with that. From a doctrinal perspective, the ark of God was a type of Christ and like his first coming, his accommodations were meager. He's born in a manger. But David was bothered by the dwelling place and he conveyed it to Nathan the prophet. And this is the first mention of Nathan in 2 Samuel. We're going to see him more as, even in this chapter and Obviously, he's going to be a key voice in David's life, and he was a key voice here. But like his first attempt at moving the ark, David's intentions here were good. His intentions were only good, and God recognized that. Look at 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 18. And the Lord said unto David, my father, whereas it was in thine heart to build an house unto my name, thou didst well that it was in thine heart. This shows that there was no guile in David's heart. He didn't have some kind of carnal agenda here. He, I mean, his heart was in the right place. But here's the question. What proof did he actually have that this is what God wanted him to do? What proof did he have that God wanted him to build him a house. That question is as relevant right now as it was then. As adults, I mean, we are, we are parents and we have careers and we have families and we have a lot of different things that God gives us to steward. And with that comes a number of decisions that we're all faced with regularly. And many times we just assume 
This, yeah, th this is what God wants me to do. And then we just go for it, right? This morning, I want to give you a few reasons for why we often assume we know what God wants from us without any proof whatsoever. The first reason is this. We do this because of our logic. We assume very often that we know what God wants us to do because of our logic. This is the system of reasoning that we work through that brings us to a certain conclusion. So we work through that. Our, our logic system and, and whatever the, the, the conclusion or the bottom line is on that, we, and I think this is subconscious, but we take that final conclusion and say, okay, this is what God wants me to do. This is the space that we operate in all the time. And this is exactly what David did. Look at verse 2. That the king said unto Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in an house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. To David, that didn't make sense. To David, that wasn't logical. It was illogical that he was dwelling in this palace of cedar, this fine place, and the ark is dwelling in a tent. That doesn't make sense. That's not logical. So his conclusion was, okay, God wants me to build him a house. Is that not how we roll? It made sense to David, and it also made sense to Nathan the prophet. Go do it, yeah. Please, I beg you to hear this. Just because something makes sense does not mean it is what God wants us to do. Just because something makes sense, just because it, it, you've run it through your logic system and you've come to a logical conclusion that you're now going to put God's name on that to say, this is God's will now for me. This is what I know God wants me to do. That line of thinking has produced some disastrous results. Disastrous. And one of the strongest examples of that is found in Genesis chapter 16 regarding Abram and Sarai. Look at it. Verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And she had in handmaid an Egyptian whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go into my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. God had promised Abram a seed. But since he had restrained Sarai from being able to bear him a son, logic said, here's what we can do. Here's what makes sense. So let's do that. This is what 
I believe God wants us to do. God needs us to help him out. Sarai and Abram had no proof whatsoever that that is what God wanted them to do. How did they know that? They had no proof whatsoever. But they had a plan based on logic. Ishmael was born to Abram and Hagar. And those descendants are a people group today that we have come to know as the Arabs. Muhammad, the founder of Islam, claimed to be a descendant of Ishmael himself. The logic exercised by Sarai and Abram has proven to be extremely costly. And so many times in your life and in mine, that's also true, isn't it? We've made decisions driven by our logic. We've interpreted that to mean this is what God wants me to do to get to the end of it and go, oh my goodness, this was one of the worst decisions I could have ever made. I think one of the things that God wants us to know this morning is he does not need us to assume anything concerning him. God says, don't do that. I don't need that from you. Now, I want to warn those who tend to be uh, critical in their thinking. Uh, some people are wired that way. They're, they're critical thinkers. And in some respects, that can work well for you. But that can also be very, very dangerous. Critical thinkers tend to be very disciplined in their analytical, intellectual, and rational thinking. Very disciplined. They live and die by this kind of thinking. And once they run something through that process, they get to the point where they are extremely confident in what they think God wants them to do. They've analyzed it. They've, they've ran through their intellect. They've rationalized it. How in the world could God not want me to do this? This just makes sense. The biggest challenge in thinking critically, listen, is walking by faith. Because there will be times, mark it down, there will be times when something absolutely makes sense intellectually. It makes sense rationally. But God is actually calling you to do something that seems completely irrational, that seems completely illogical, that makes no human sense whatsoever. For example, if you would have, if you would have sat down with Joshua before they took Jericho and said, Joshua, I want you to draw up, I want you to devise your best plan to take these walls down. Do you think he would have drew up the plan that God gave him? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. God's plan made no sense, if we're honest. Logically speaking, it made no sense. 
We all need to hear this. Listen, critical thinkers often remove waiting on God from the decision-making process. I don't have to wait on God. I have thought this through. I have analyzed it. I I have looked at it from every different angle possible. I have accounted for every potential possibility, outcome. Let's go. Their logical process is ultimately the deciding factor, not God. Now, we'll put God's name on it. We'll talk more about that. That's very dangerous. Listen, let me, let me say this because I, I need to say this to us. In a church like this, that places such a high premium on this book, subtly, you can get to the place where you think you are omniscient. And you think you have mastered the mind of God because you know volumes of Bible. I know this book, and listen, I have seen it in pastors. You stand in front of people all the time. You seem to have all the answers. You, you study and you do all these things, and you know what's right and what's best in every situation, and this, that, and the other, and... And I'm thankful for those times when God comes along and reminds all of us, just so you know, you don't have all the answers. Just so you know, you don't know everything. Just so you know, you are not omniscient, not even close. Don't kid yourself. So I say the same thing to you. Be thankful for what God has given us. Be thankful for what we can learn. Be thankful for what we get to enjoy But you know what? When you're learning properly, you know what's happening. You're getting smaller. The more you're learning, the more you're realizing you don't know. The foolishness of God is wiser than us, right? Here's a second reason we are prone to assume for God. Our listening. Our listening. Look at verse 3. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in thine heart, for the Lord is with thee. Logic said it made sense to build God a house, and now Nathan the prophet is saying, Yeah, makes sense to me. Go for it. God is with you. It has been said many times that the only thing that we learn from history is that We learn nothing from history. Before David attempted to move the ark the first time, he consulted with a number of people, didn't he? Which was a wise thing to do. He listened to their counsel, but neither David nor the many people that he consulted, neither him or them, consulted with God. And are are, are we not here again? (laughs) I want to build God a house. Nathan, yeah, let's go do it. 
or can we talk to God? I mean, we, we just went through this, didn't we? Here's a critical lesson that I have learned. We must be very careful about listening to others when attempting to discern what God wants us to do. Be careful. Be careful. Truth be known, people will run to others, including pastors, before they go to God. What should I do? I'm trying to discern what God wants me to do. And what? Tell me. I've sat with people over the years. I've done this enough. I've sat with people enough to know there have been times where people are trying to work through a decision. They're faced with an issue. And as we're discussing it, it becomes clear to me, you have not put this before the Lord, have you? I'm not the Lord. I'm not omniscient. I am not all wisdom. I mean, you came to me. You, you haven't spent five minutes with God over this. We looked at Abram and Sarai earlier in that. We saw these infamous words. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. He listened to what she had to say. Sounds like a plan to me. Makes sense to me. Yeah, I can see how we can get that done, how that could work. Here's the problem. Neither Abram nor Sarai hearkened to the voice of God. And here's the issue. Please, When we want to do something, we are prone to interpret voices of agreement as the voice of God. When I want to do something, when my mind is made up, when when I am sure I know this is what God wants me to do, man, I, I, or at least I think I do. Tell you what, if, if Mark says, yeah, man, that sounds like a plan, and Martha says that, and Carl says it, and Paul says it, and like, well, I, Lord, I, I think you're in this. And this can get interesting, if not dark sometimes in ministry, because when people want to do something sometimes, here's what they will do. They will go on the circuit, And they'll talk to a number of pastors and leaders, and what they're looking for is they're looking for someone to tell them that this is okay for you to do. And they will conveniently not inform you that they've actually spoken to three or four pastors before you. Where neither one of them gave a green light. But all they need is for you Because now I can say, well, hey, Pastor Kenny told me it sounded great. But what you've done is since you've talked to those three pastors, you figured out how to pitch this a little bit better so that it sounds more like, yeah, this is what God would want you to do. 
That's dark, brothers and sisters. And the darkness in that is seen when you compare the approach of King Ahab, one of the most wicked kings in Israel's history. Look at 1 Kings 22 and verse 5. And Jehoshaphat said unto the king of Israel, Inquire, I pray thee, at the word of the Lord today. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said unto them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I forbear? And they said, Go up, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. Then Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord besides, that we might inquire of him? And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. Why do you hate him, Ahab? For he doth not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. Uh, The 400 prophets that stood before Ahab, they knew what their responsibility, they knew what their job was. Just tell the king what he wants to hear. Not what he needs to hear. Not what God has said, but just tell him what he needs to hear or what he wants to hear. Reality is, is what they told him was a lie. Ahab would die in this battle. Micaiah, on the other hand, was a thus saith the Lord kind of man, which was not Ahab, which is not what Ahab wanted to hear. See, this is what this is what we do, right? As adults, we 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 can get very particular and very careful to stack and arrange our lives with people who surround us, and they're just like these four hundred prophets. Just tell me what I want to hear. Don't tell me what I need to hear. Just tell me what I want to hear. That that's what I want to listen to. Don't tell me anything that's going to be hard, that's going to be hurtful. That don't, don't tell me anything that's going to go against what I want to do. That is a dangerous way to live. Like David, Nathan the prophet meant well. And like David, he assumed wrong. These are two good men. two very good men both were dead wrong look at verse 4 and it came to pass that night that the word of the Lord came unto Nathan saying go and tell my servant David thus saith the Lord shalt thou build me a house for me to dwell in whereas I have not dwelt in any house since the time that I brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt even to this day, but have walked in a tent and in a tabernacle. The word of the Lord came to Nathan the prophet that very night. That expresses urgency. Urgency. God did not want this to get off the ground. 
God knew what was in David's heart. God knew how much David wanted to do this. God knew that if David was allowed, he was going to hit the gas on this immediately. And God says, that's not what I want. That's not my will. You both assumed wrong. I am not diminishing the truth that there is safety in the multitude of counselors. That is so very true. But let me tell you something the Lord has taught me over the years through observing Sam. Whenever it comes to Sam having to lead MBT to make a very critical decision, whether it's ordaining someone or, or, or buying a building or whatever it might be, I mean, big decisions. What Sam will always do is he'll bring it to the pastoral team and he'll put it before us. And what he will always say is, hey, can we all agree to take the next two weeks and commit ourselves to prayer and fasting about this decision? And then we want to come back together and let's hear from the Lord together. Now, as he presents it or he pitches it to us, I can hear in his heart, I can sense how he might be leaning or what, he, what direction he may ultimately want to go in, but that's not, he, no, let's, let's all hear from the Lord. Let's trust him together. And what's so amazing about that is I have literally watched Sam not make a decision or not move forward with a decision because one man was not at peace. And I'm thinking, well, makes sense to me. <laughs> I think I've heard it from the Lord. I don't know what his problem is. <laughs> Man, get it together. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Can't you not see this? And when I say wait, I mean, I'm talking, I've seen Sam wait for years. So we'll bring it back up a year later. Same process. Now it's two guys who aren't at peace, maybe three. It's not until we are all at peace that we have heard from the Lord that, yes, we need to ordain this person or we need to do this or do that. It's like, wow. So yes, there is safety and the multitude of counselors, but listen, the counselee and the counselors got to hear from the Lord. Man, you can get counselors. Those 400 prophets that stood before Ahab, were they not his counselors? You can find yes people. You can especially if they think they can get something from you. <laughs> what do you want me to say? <laughs> if the counselee and the counselors are not all hearing from the Lord, I'm going to tell you, a lot of assuming is going to happen, which can be very costly. Okay, finally, the third reason that we often make assumptions concerning the will of God is our lies. Our lies. 
unknowingly to us when we assume we know what God wants without proof, there are always some basic lies that we're operating on. Unknowingly, we are operating on some... There, there are more that I will give you, but, but, but these three are foundational, and, and this is what we've been looking at in this narrative. The first lie is this. We think we know what is best for ourselves. We think we know what is best for ourselves. David could not have imagined that God did not want him to build his house. He couldn't have imagined that. God, I'm, I'm living in this palace and the ark. I mean, absolutely, this is right, right? Right, God? Yeah, David, I'm sorry. It took me a minute to catch up, but yeah, I see it now. Sometimes our desire to do something is so great. If you're honest, you have been here. I know I have been here. Sometimes our desire to do something is so great that we cannot possibly imagine that God doesn't want us to do it. God, I have a burden to do this. I have the ability to do this. I have the desire. I've got the availability. I've got the resources. Let me have it. There's no way that God can't be in this. So we will think to ourselves and even say to others, God wants me to do fill in the blank. But so many times that has not been true. Look at 1 Chronicles 22 beginning in verse 7. And David said to Solomon, My son, as for me, it was in my mind to build an house unto the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thou hast shed blood abundantly and hast made great wars. Thou shalt not build an house unto my name, because thou hast shed much blood upon the earth in my sight. That's not what God wanted. Didn't matter how much David wanted to do it. It wasn't what God wanted him to do. Didn't matter how much sense it made. Didn't matter what Nathan the prophet said. It wasn't what God wanted. It wasn't his will for David to build him a house. David was a man of war and blood, not peace. This is not for you to do, David. This is what I'm saying. Listen, I get it. We're not 15. We're not 20. But please understand this. You will never know what is best for you like God. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how much you have studied, how much you have learned. You will never know. God knows what is best for me better than I ever will know. So who am I to assume that I know what's best for me? I don't. Here's a second lie. We think we know what is best for others. <laughs> and Nathan said to the king, go do all that is in thine heart. Without hesitation. Told David, go for it. 
God is with you. Was that true? It was not true. God was not with David to go do this. This is why we said earlier, be careful who you listen to when listening to others. Be careful. Let me ask you a question. How many times, or has there been a time, and, and listen, I'll, I'll, I'll start because I can put both my hands up on this one, but how many times in your life, or has there been a time in your life where you, was, you, you thought you were so sure I mean, you were so certain. I mean, it was a slam dunk. You were as convinced as you hear the sound of my voice right now that God wanted you to do something and you moved forward with it to learn that it was exactly not what God wanted you to do. Have you been there? Okay. Yes. One of the proofs that we think we know what is best for others is We are quick to tell others what God wants them to do. Quick. Like Nathan, no hesitation. Here's what God wants you to do. Can I I be in an open book for a few moments here? Uh, this is where I'm living and walking right now. Our son will be 19 here in a couple of weeks. And I listen, I recognize the stages of parenting, and, and I'm getting closer and closer to that consulting stage with my son. That consulting stage says that you give input when asked. I mean, this kid is making, this young man is making some pretty big decisions in his life right now. Big for him. What is that? Bro, come to me. I got all the answers. You don't need to think. Let me think for you. I've done this. And, I, and we're having conversations, and I'm, re- I'm recognizing that, to his credit, He's carefully listening. He's not being disrespectful. But he's listening carefully. And what I mean by that is, is what he's working through is, is I hear what you're saying. But I'm wondering if that's what God wants me to do. I just told you. I think you know what God wants you to do. (laughs) And the Holy Spirit of God is saying, right now will be a good time to put a period on your words. Stop. Stop. He gets to make that decision. Proverbs 10, 19, In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. Wise people are swift to hear and slow to speak. They don't just, well, let me tell you what God wants you to do. (laughs) Oh, no. They're swift to hear and slow to speak. 
And when we think we know what is best for us and others, the third lie is a given. You ready? We think we know what is best for God. That's when it gets so very dangerous. This is where we, this was the foundation. Notice God's tone in verse 5. Go and tell my servant David, thus saith the Lord, shalt thou build me an house for me to dwell in? Let me interpret that for you. So you're going to build me a house, huh? Is, is, that, is that what we're doing here? Is, is, that, is that what I want? You're sure, huh? You've got this down. You know what I want. Look at verse 6. Whereas I have not dwelt in any house since the time that I brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt, even to this day, but have walked in a tent and in a tabernacle, and all the places wherein I have walked with all the children of Israel, spake I a word with any of the tribes of Israel, whom I commanded to feed my people Israel, saying, Why build ye not me an house of cedar? If God wanted David to build him a house of cedar, the point here is, I would have told you that. God is saying, David, I don't need you to think for me. And I think he's telling us the same thing. I don't need you to think for me. I need you to think like me. Which is why I've given you my word. Again, did David mean well? Absolutely. But listen very carefully to the words of David's son, Solomon, who would build God a magnificent house. 1 Kings 8, 27. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. How much less this house that I have builded. Since the heaven of heavens can't contain God, since Solomon's magnificent house couldn't contain God, did God need David to build him a house? No. No. Again, assumptions can be dangerous. He did not need David to do that. Listen, when we think we know what is best for God, listen, we assume that God needs us to do something for Him. That's where that goes. I know what's best for me. I know what's best for others. And I know what's best for God. And since this is best for God, then this is what God needs me to do for him. Oh my goodness, is that dangerous. That is so dangerous and it is seasoned with absolute arrogance. Does God desire things from us? Absolutely. But does he need something from us? Absolutely not. Brothers and sisters, here's a takeaway this morning. Honor the clearly revealed will of God. And where God has not revealed his will in a matter, 
wait on him in prayer and in his word before doing anything. You're thinking about a career change. You're you're thinking about buying a new home. You're you're thinking about some. You're thinking about a missions trip. You're you're think, I mean, fill in the blank. Put it before the Lord, Father, for Your glory. What would You have me to do? And wait. Wait. How long? As long as you need to. And let God answer in His time, His way. That message that I shared with you two weeks ago, the Life Fellowship Update, if you have not heard that, I implore you to listen to that. Can I tell you, that message was born out of prayer and waiting on God in His Word. I, I could take weeks to tell you what led up to that message of me just sitting with God. And at a certain point, it got very clear, okay, this is what, this is what I'm, I, had, I had a number of questions I put before the Lord about this class. And that's what God gave me to share with you. But it was weeks. And what you heard in those 40 minutes, <laughs> it came out of hours of me and God alone. I didn't go to Sam. I didn't go to Brandon. I it was, okay, Lord. And that's what he showed me. That's the takeaway. Don't assume. Seek God and wait on him. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. I do, I do pray that we have heard you clearly. In Jesus' name, amen.